Hello and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cronenberg. On the show today, Bendigo Writers Festival kicks off next month and it's well worth hopping on a V-line for. Uh, Director Rosemary Sorensen will be in to discuss the lineup of local international literary stars uh, that will be at the festival and also the focus on things like celebrating Indigenous culture and country, writing wrongs, crime ethics and personal courage. But up next, I'll be joined by author and founder of the Bad Diaries Salon, Jenny Acklin. She'll be talking about her latest book, Little Gods, a tale of family, vengeance, resilience, denial and a coming of age story with a protagonist that I've been saying is worthy of Harper Lee's Scout, but I think we're going to have all sorts of discussions about that. All I can say is it's a really cracking book um, with a really fantastic uh, female lead, uh, which is always awesome to have. Three, triple, ah. You're listening to Backstory on Three Triple R. Our next guest, Jenny Acklin, is no stranger to the Triple R Airwaves. She's been in to talk about the Bad Diary series and her previous book, The Secret Son, a, and I quote, Ned Kelly Gallipoli mashup about truth and history. Um, today, though, Jenny joins us to discuss Little Gods, her latest book, a coming-of-age saga that delves into memory, denial, family secrets, and a picture of the early 80s that had me thinking of Stand By Me and Uh also my own childhood. Uh Jenny, welcome. Thanks, Mel. I didn't think you would be old enough to have had your childhood in the early 80s. Oh, well, looks to see. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me in on this wild and woolly Melbourne day. It's... um, really actually been quite a journey for me reading this book. I was, you know, it sort of lulls you into a little bit of a false sense of security because you're sort of, you know, rocked into kind of this um, this delightful sort of recognition of childhood, whatever era it is that is your childhood, you're suddenly sort of cast back there. One of the wonderful things about Little Gods is that the kids in this book are sort of knocking around without that much parental sort of oversight, mm. which um, really is kind of something of a, you know, of a thing of past eras, I think, that idea that the parents are sort of there somewhere in the background, but really the story is all about, all about the kids, which is why I was thinking of things like The Goonies and Stand By Me, because that's very much those kid gangs, you know, where you had your cubby house and your wild adventures um, that, you know, really did have that undercurrent of danger to them that gradually starts to dawn as the book goes on. Jenny, can you set up what Little Gods is about for you? So it's, I describe it as the mess of family. It's about the mess of family. And I think everybody can probably relate to that. Um, Sometimes there are large messes, sometimes there are smaller messes. Um, But it's about, it's about a girl, Olive Lovelock, and she's just turned 12. And she's, she is the main protagonist though. And it is her story, but there are other stories going on. Um, I wanted to write about girlhood. I think we've had a lot of books about childhood and and boyhood, but I wanted to write about girlhood um, and a very particular girl who's, um, she's brave, she's strong, she thinks she knows everything, Um, she can get it wrong, she won't be told, Um, and she's she's very tough and she's, um, she's very curious too. So 
it's really about the summer months of that that year that she turns 12 and she finds out that she once had a baby sister who died and so she sets out she she's a self styled sleuth that's not easy to say um and sets about trying to solve this mystery as she sees it. Mm. It's sort of an interesting thing because this isn't just the usual kind of external forces. I think that you sometimes see in stories about children where there's an external danger that children, you know, they sort of are focusing on the wrong thing and as you're reading it uh, as a as a reader who sees through the faulty narrator, you're mm. going, no, no, this is the real danger that you should look out for. But what gradually creeps up on you uh, as you're reading this book is that there's some internal danger, something that Olive herself maybe knows and has forgotten. The trick of memory uh, is playing a lot with this. Yes. Um, and there's a really interesting comment, um, you know, the this main protagonist has an offsider, Peter, mm. um, who is the sensible one, I guess. Um, and he makes a comment at one point, which is that, you know, whenever they, they play truth or dare, Olive always takes the dare, but she's a bit scared of truth. And I think that that really goes to the heart of the, the tension that's in this book is that there is something that Olive isn't being told and she really needs to know it. And I thought this was a really interesting book because it kind of challenges the ways that I guess people used to treat children, which is that they don't need to know things or mm. that they can, you know, that actually secrets should be kept. Um, and really underlying all of this is the fact that actually, no, you need to tell children things. People need to be taught about everything from sex to death. Um, so I'm wondering, is there that kind of parable sort of wound into this tale? Well, for sure. I mean, I, I agree with you that, that uh, you know, in the old days, children were protected in that way. They weren't necessarily told things. They found out about the world through, I guess, direct experience or by other people, usually older children. If you're thinking about sex, older children may be telling them things. Um, but, you know, truth in this novel, truth is a big part of it and also how truth works in families um, and how memory works. Um, so, you know, for, for Olive, that seeking of truth... Uh, she becomes so fixated on it. But you're right, there is an inner interiority, like a psychological thing at play as well. So maybe there is something that she she once knew and forgot and there's a reason why she's, you know, blocked from recalling that. And at one point in the book she she talks about the memory game and I don't know whether you ever played it as a child, the you know, all the objects on the tray. Yeah. You have 20, I was always rubbish at it. <laughs> 20 seconds to, you know, look at them all and then they're covered with a tea towel. It was a party game and she, you know, she reflects that she was always the one that won. So her memory has always been really good. Um so, yeah, it just further impels her to, to seek this truth. Um, and when she gets it into her head that it was actually a murder, that's when things sort of, I guess, skew in another direction. Um, and danger, you know, the danger ramps up a bit for her. Yeah. There is a family of bullies also in this, but they're not necessarily what they seem either. In fact, there's a lot of things that through a child's eyes are maybe, you know, really seen very clearly and some things aren't. Um, like many a faulty narrator, Olive really does kind of, uh, you know, see things from her perspective, but we can kind of crack through and see what else is going on beneath the surface um, and then hope that she 
she maybe also does. Um, but there is a lot happening here that is, uh, you know, also to do with her family. They've got a culture of keeping secrets and a lot of those secrets have to do with, with motherhood or loss of children, a loss of babies. Um, and some of that has to do with the kind of hangover of previous generations morality, like, you know, um, the issue that was happening, I guess, with um, single mothers having their children taken from them also pops up. Um, I noticed that also um, that we get the Lindy Chamberlain uh, case <laughs> pops up in here as well. Um, talk a little bit about some of those tides that are kind of lapping up against this story. Sure. Uh, so the Lindy Chamberlain thing, I, you know, it's really interesting. You're right. There is a lot. There's a lot of reference to loss, lost babies, mothers, and children, and, and so on. Um, I put the Lindy Chamberlain. They're just very few references, so that the reader could get a grasp of what era we're talking about without being explicit. Um, But it wasn't until later that I realised, oh, yeah, so that's about a a lost baby as well. I mean, that must have been something subconscious that was going on for me in the writing. Um, But, yes, so while it is very much Olive's story, um, there are... and, And a person could read it and read the surface narrative and it's about this girl and and what her sort of goal is or her mission she's on a mission um there's another story which is to do with one of her aunts thistle and so she's got uh two aunts um so three sisters including her mother and thistle is one of the aunts and thistle is someone who had damage while she was younger um and it's still playing out today. But Thistle is Olive's favourite aunt. So while she's sort of a little bit, she's unusual, she's unconventional and she speaks directly and honestly with the children, answers their questions. So Thistle is the one, the truth teller of the family, I suppose you could say, but she also still has her own secrets um, and they, they play out as well. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR, a show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. And one of those people is the wonderful Jenny Acklin. She's here to talk about her second novel, Little Gods, um, which is a really um, quite rich book, although it does have a child protagonist. I shouldn't say although, because actually (laughs) some of the richest books I think do have uh, as their lead protagonist children. Um, This Would you classify this book, I guess, as a young adult book, I think uh, my feeling was those kind of spurious categories are often created more for marketing purposes than anything else. Mm, yeah, I think so. When when I was first, I, my agent, when she was reading this, um, she wondered whether it would be classified as... No, sorry, I'm going to correct myself. An early, very early reader of the manuscript, not my agent, wondered whether it would be a YA and I was very determined that it it wasn't, that it was written for adults. Um, I Some people have said to me, you know, is it YA? And I'm, I'd love it if young readers found it and read it. That would be fantastic. I think you're right, it can be more of a marketing thing, but it is classified by my publisher as literary fiction for adults. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, look, um, The Book Thief was one of those very memorable books that I think had been sort of 
pitched as a YA book, but the vast majority of readers were in fact adults. And yeah, so we they often, call it crossover. They don't call they? it crossover, yeah. but I would have classified that as as you know literary fiction. You know, the language is accessible though, and I think accessible accessible enough for younger readers as well. And I think that the complexity of the themes in here is, you know, really something that younger readers also crave. And mm. one of the wonderful things I think about reading books that have at their heart a faulty narrator is that sometimes when you're reading it at different ages, you're you're identifying, um, especially you know, with a with age slip readers. So there's a a young protagonist and older people in the background. That as you get older, you sort of get more out of it because um, you start identifying with different characters. Yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully that's you know that 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 could be a thing with this book. Um, yeah, I think it is. It is. Com- I tried to make it complex. I I tried to have layers in there. Um, and, and also having the adult story going on somewhat to the side and in the background. Um, so, you know, there's there's quite a bit going on there and the very close readers will will see even more things going on um, on, uh, on other levels. Um, so there's, there's the front-up mystery of what happened to the baby sister, Asta, but there are other secrets in the book and the answers are there, but... Um, not not overted yeah you'll have to read it you'll have um, to read it <laughs> but let's talk about we i've kind of casually dropped in the term faulty narrator mm. and you know for those who aren't familiar with the term it is that kind of classic technique where you know you can't believe the protagonist that we're largely seeing through uh, the book through um, although you have played with multiple perspectives in this book you do get other characters popping up um you know, as the main kind of perspective within certain portions of the book, which is really just kind of shows the, you know, the amazing kind of ability you have as a writer to be able to kind of pull out of uh, Olive's kind of perspective and take us into others. Um, But by and large, we're in her perspective. It's a child perspective. um, And very definitely we are seeing things through her eyes that she herself is not seeing. Mm. How do you write a character like that? How do you create that faulty narrative perspective? Uh, It's it's very artful and I'm always quite intrigued by how that's kind of, you know, how it's yeah. done. Well, that's a good question. And and probably the short answer is, you know, again, it, it's there can be a conscious attempt. So I, with Olive, I really wanted the reader to see things that she wasn't seeing. Um, so I thought, so what would be those things and what could be like dropping in a couple of examples where we the, or the reader sees Olive... Um, in error about something so that sort of set up that she might not always get things right and then also that that we see some sort of you know if there's some some sort of action scene olives in the scene but we also see it and there's that difference of interpretation so um, i don't know i don't think it answers it like when it comes to talking about craft and how you do things so much of it feels intuitive to me um but they're, they're probably two examples of how I, I con- consciously tried to construct that feeling of her being unreliable, but also her age. Like, um, you know, she's she's on the cusp of moving towards adulthood, so she's about to depart childhood, and she's right in that middle kind of 
like I was thinking, there's there's kid world and there's adult world and they're two very separate worlds and mm. they butt up against each other. They can share the same physical space. So families, you know, you've got members of all ages in, in the same house or in the same physical space um, and all within view of each other, but there can be these undercurrents, these sort of secret lives going on and, and very private things happening. But Olive's sort of about to step onto the tunnel, if we continue the metaphor, like a between those two worlds, which is, I guess, adolescence. So she's... Mm. And you do stage one of the yeah. scenes in a tunnel, which I, I yes. was like, hmm, yes, metaphors yes. abound. Yes, bit, bit deliberate. Um, but she... So there are times when she feels very much like a child and then there are other times where she's starting to become much more aware of the adult world and what their concerns are and she eavesdrops and listens in and and she's a bit more interested in that. So just seeing, knowing that this is a child who is sort of starting to open her eyes more to the world um, and, yeah, she but she's not always getting it right. There is a scene where, you know, she has an experimental kind of first kiss with her best mate <laughs> and it was really well done. It's like, you know, you sort of build it up and I think there's an expectation that there's going to be kind of, you know, that sort of like like that kind of excited feeling that you get. But mm. it's quite the opposite and I thought it was really beautifully kind of, you know, deflating. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it was an experiment. She was like, okay, so this is you know, this is what people start to do or this is maybe what teenagers do and she's seen the people at the pool kissing up the back, up, you know, smoking the teenagers and maybe having a pash. So it is a very deliberate, cold-blooded experiment and she sort of goes, okay, you know, it just felt, you know, just like someone was too close to her face and a bit wet. Um, So no no sort of, um, you know, excitement there because she's still in that, I guess, latency period that the psychologists talk about, that children, you know, they, they're just, they're not interested. And if there's kissing on TV, they'll sort of be going, yeah, yuck. And I mean, 12 these days is very different to 12 in the early 80s. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do think that that was a particularly kind of realistic um, <laughs> depiction, all too realistic, perhaps. Mm. Um, Jenny, I would love to keep talking to you about this book, um, but I do also want to touch on your bad Diary Salon series. Um, yes. Uh, for those who've uh, listened to Jenny before uh, on air here, we did have her on uh, reading... Valentine's Day. Valentine's <laughs> Day, reading a lovelorn extract from one of her early diaries. I was moved to think about it reading this book because it really, you know, obviously I think delving into those bad diaries that um, that a lot of writers have brought to your salons, you've obviously kind of managed to catch the nuance of, you know, of early voice uh, through those things, among others. Also, keeping a diary, mm. no doubt, has helped with that. I very much recommend that if you're a budding writer yes. or even one that's well along. Keeping a diary is a and great thing. And notebooks and making yeah. notes. Yeah, yeah. Will we be hearing more from the bad diary salon? Is that likely to be kicking off again at any point? Well, we've got, we've got a what we call the winter winter series which is actually in the next over the next week we're staging three salons so there's one on Saturday night in Port Ferry um, at a bookshop there called Blarney Books and Art Um, and then there's one the following Tuesday the 10th of July in Melbourne at Buck Mulligan's which is a whiskey bar and bookshop in Northcote Um, and then there's a third on Wednesday the 11th so that's next Wednesday isn't it where are we now Wednesday so that's in a week and that's down at Geelong at the library and cultural centre in what I call the Peter Carey room it's like a big room at the top where 
I saw Peter Carey give a talk, so <laughs> in my head it's called the it's Peter It's been Carey. named for him now. Yeah. Um, and just to be clear, can you explain a little bit about what the Salon series So the is Bad about? Diaries Salon, uh, um, it's a live event, five writers, so five published writers reading for 10 minutes from their early terrible works to a theme. So it might be an old teenage diary, it might be hideous poetry, like I, I read that terrible love poem here that time. Um, it could be... Um, an an abandoned novel manuscript or a a short story so the idea is that you know we we work with we we polish our work we get it edited we get it published but sort of who who were we before all of that and and going back to those early really bad times of uh you know angsty teenage writings or whatever and um we've had people reading their childhood stories um Patrick Allington at one one salon read um, this fantastic story that he wrote, I think, when he was seven, and it is just divine. Um, That's and great. Yeah, so it's just it's great fun. It's loads of fun to read at, but it's also really great to be in the audience and hear it. It's mm. it's funny and it's moving and it's raw and it's um, unique. It's great. Yeah, and a really great reminder that we're all on a journey as yes. writers that actually, you know, we weren't always great writers. No, and, that's right. You know, we had to learn by doing. And I think that it's really wonderful to remember that as we get older mm. and our expectations get ossified, that we actually have to, we have to constantly remember what it was like at the beginning so that we can learn things. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know, a couple of years ago, there was a document circulating circulating online of, I think it was an academic, and they um, published all their rejections, so all their failed applications to grants and um, getting articles placed and so on. And it was this huge spreadsheet of rejections. But on the face of it, they, they were a very successful scholar, you know. Um, so, yeah, we do. We forget uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Or you may not know about it as a as an emerging or, or new writer. You just don't know because what you see is what, what's the published stuff. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, in, it's important for, I guess, uh, people, you know, starting out on the writing journey to know that, that it doesn't come out fully formed and perfect. And that sounds a bit rude, but, yeah. It doesn't. Well, Jenny, <laughs> thank you so much for coming in. Uh, Little Gods is, of course, out now and uh, you can pick it up from any good bookshop. Um, it's been wonderful having you on. Thanks, and I Mel. hope to be able to talk to you again soon. Thank you. This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. You're listening to Backstory on 3RRR, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm joined by the director of the Benigo Writers Festival, Rosemary Sorensen. She's here to discuss this incredible festival, which kicks off on the 10th of August, so next month. Uh, It's actually a really uh, amazingly interesting festival combining international guests, um, some incredible local guests and I think very, very well worth hopping on a V-line train to get to. Uh, Rosemary, very much welcome. Thank you, Mel. Thank backstory. you. Um, I really am fascinated by uh, some of the lineup here. I think um, there's really some, some great kind of festival sort of programming going on. Mm. But I am intrigued by, uh, by the panel kind of guests. Mm. There's one in particular, uh, I think it's on the the Friday night, um, mm. which is called Let's Get Curious. And it's uh, Benjamin Law, who many people will be familiar with and love, uh, who is hosting an event with the um, the crime writer, British crime writer, I believe, Anne 
Cleves, Gareth Evans, mm-hmm. uh, Morris Gleitzman, mm-hmm. um, who yeah. is our um, no what is Astra- he? Uh, our Australia's children's laureate. Children's yeah. laureate. Yeah. I think I was just about to yeah, give say him a Nobel, Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're take welcome, that. Morris. Yeah. You're yeah. welcome. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah, he's our uh, children's yeah. laureate, um, and Jenny Graves. Uh, and it's actually a fascinating, um, <laughs> a fascinating light up. Um, but also, you kind of introduce it as it was actually care and worry that killed the cat in yeah. the original proverb, not curiosity. Yeah. So, how come we now use it to stop people asking? question exactly tell me about this and many of the other amazing things that you've got lined up i just tweeted and i know tweeting is very old school but i just tweeted to um to ben um who's doing uh, one of his um he's amazing man doing one of those um fundraisers for um the lgb you know continuing um community and he's dressing up as the the lion from wizard of oz and he had this kind of lion's hair thing (laughs) and his lion's sort of mane thing looking completely mad and i said i think you should wear that on stage (laughs) theater when you're when you're interviewing these people with gareth evans Anne cleaves morris gleitzman and and jenny graves who is a, a scientist by the way of the top order one of the first women or i think maybe the first woman to get the Prime Minister's Prize for Science for some sort of genetic thing she does, I don't know, with mammals or something. She's amazing. And I I said, what can go wrong? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Is that, you remember Jenny Graves' work? Yes, I'm like, I think um, that probably would have been my description. Some kind of genetic thing. Yeah, thingy that she does. That's the award, right? That's what it is. A wonderful woman. So good. And what's really exciting, well, you know, I started off with, with our emu, who's We've just got an ad putting putting together and the emu blinks at us. It's great. <laughs> I don't know why I find that amusing, but I find it quite funny when the emu sort of looks out. As some people go, oh, an emu's very confronting. <laughs> oh, so to be clear, the emu yeah, is on yeah, the cover of the right. program. Right. And, you know, emus can be, they can give you yeah, a sharp yours, eye. Apparently. But it's like yeah. they know something. They're like, I see yeah. you, I see yeah. you. And they've got that look like, what are you doing? And that's exactly the thing I wanted for the festival. We've had this sort of bird thing happening. We started off with this gorgeous little fairy wren, and I'm going off on a tangent here, but never mind. Um, a gorgeous little fairy wren who just is the most adorable little bird, and you see a lot of them in, around our area, central Victoria. So we started with that, and everyone went, oh, so cute, and that's fine. Cute's good. And then we went the eagle, I think, and the eagle's great because the eagle's kind of you know, majestic and gorgeous and, and th- that's fine too. But then I went, okay, <laughs> now I want something that's really going to take the eye, not literally, but take the eye. And the emu is, is doing that. It's really, it's really, and of course, we've got Bruce Pascoe coming who wrote Dark Emu and that Dark Emu book has really changed things about and that's that's booking really well because people are fascinated by it. It's the idea, yeah, you probably know about yeah, so, it. So for people who don't know about the book, do you want yep. us to tell us a little bit about that? In, in a nutshell, if you can use the word nutshell when you're talking about hunting and gathering and, and growing things, um, Bruce Pascoe's of that historical look where we, we went oh, there was no, no there were nomads uh, the Aborig- Aborigines in a Australia did not um, have places of residence. That's why it was terra nullius. Well, you know what? No. <laughs> and he's gone back to the records, the records that existed, and found references to um, to farming and growing things. Um, Kate Grenville did it in um, uh, in her book. You know, people have been doing it for a while, but this book's captured the imagination because it's it's 
quite simply done and quite passionately done and very readable. And you just look at the land differently. You know, yeah. you, you notice where people have been collecting yams, they've been doing irrigation, they've been doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just grown. And I think our timing's pretty good on this one because I think a lot of people are still catching up with dark emu. And the dark emu, of course, as you well know, and I love this, is the way you look at the sky. Instead of looking at the um, the archer or whatever, the, the stars in the sky, you look at the spaces between the stars and according to Indigenous um, astrology, you see an emu in the dark spaces between the stars. Isn't that gorgeous? So you just look differently. It's terrific. Yeah, it's definitely a book worth reading yeah. as well. Um, there's also another uh, one that caught my eye. Um, in fact, a few on this particular programming page that I was just drawn to, uh, A Woman's Place, uh, which mm. includes the wonderful Timmer Ball, who was yes. one of the keynote speakers yeah. at this year's Emerging Writers Festival, yep. uh, which I just loved. Yeah, um, can you talk a little bit about that? And also Something Dark with Lem Sisse. Yeah, um, Lem Sisse. Oh, Yes, to die for. Um, the, the woman's place thing, look, that's zeitgeist stuff, isn't it? You know, you cannot have a festival this year without talking about um, what's been going on with Me Too and what um, Tracy Spice is coming up. She's an amazing, a brilliant character, isn't she? And she's the sort of, you know, she's the name that, that the GP, that people can pick Tracy Spicer. So that's good. And that we, we try to do that in Bendigo because people keep saying, oh, books, you know, you get this books oh, oh I don't get time to read and you think you're reading all the time you know it, <laughs> but what are I'm you sorry. <laughs> well yeah you're reading online even mm. you know you're looking at your phone right now it's called reading um it's it's Anyway, we, we still struggle with that kind of idea because people get a bit afraid that it's not for me because it's a bit intellectual. Usually every year I indulge myself with um, a fabulous... I had Keenan Malik here last year on the Saturday night and, oh, my goodness, if you, if you love good ethics, um, historical ethics writing, Keenan Malik is just so good. Anyway, he was great, um, but I thought this year we should really change up the you know the mood a bit so I started to put together a woman's place and Lindy Burns is coming wonderful Lindy from the ABC and she's a she's a character too and then Timmer popped up because she's such an as an emerging writer she's a really interesting woman and I really like that and we're putting Nadia Jamal on there too who's just written a book uh, edited a book called Headstrong Daughters because you can't do this without looking at um, you know the, the the clash of religions and what it means to be a, an alternate religion, another religion, a minority religion in Australia. You know these are these are great. But topics. I do love and a woman. that people will come to see, will yeah. know who Lindy Burns is or yeah. Tracy Spicer, and then we'll Meet see Timmy Ball it. and um, Nadia Jamal. It's really great programming because you, you haven't just kind of you've actually said I want to challenge people. Yeah, I want to I want to get people who yeah. think that they yeah. are one thing yeah. and show them that there's so much else out there. Let's talk about um, Lem Sissé now. Mm, yeah. Hey, we, we've been working on Lem Sissé for a couple of years and, again, the timing is fantastic. Lem Sissé is now the um, Chancellor of the University of Manchester. He was an Ethio- the, the son of an Ethiopian um, student woman who uh, got pregnant in, in England sort of 40, 50 years ago and it was 
awful because he went into care, she was sent home, he went into care, the the experience was dreadful um, and he came through at the end of it basically being blamed for not getting on and not having a decent education. He has just won a case against um, a a council in England um, who has been treating these kids in care uh, as as criminals effectively and so he's coming to us in a a way that is very triumphant. He is one of the major public poets in in England. He talks about care and education, so kids in care and giving them proper education. He talks about the power of words. He's a public kind of, he's not a slam poet, he's a public poet. His stuff goes on walls. It's a, um, and he was one of the um, Olympic poets there and he's always called upon. His poems are very simple, very strong. So we're letting him talk to the young people as well as letting him put on something dark, which is effectively his story. He stands up for an hour and I defy anyone not to come away thinking this man has been through it. He's had a hard time but he is the most positive wonderfully optimistic and caring person and great speaker and rather a gorgeous looking man too. Just add that as well. (laughs) Just add that in. Yeah, just add that in. Um, Look, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3 RRR. I'm Mel Cranenberg and I'm joined by the Benigo Writers Festival director, Rosemary Sorensen. If you're wondering why uh, you should be interested in yet another festival, it's a wonderful thing actually to have regional festivals to bring things to people who maybe can't travel as much um, and kind of give them an offering that actually really packs a punch. Um, But this is also the programming that you've chosen to do is very much your own. You haven't necessarily, you've followed up on, you know, tides of interest. But I feel as though this festival really does pull together different perspectives, different age groups, different um, ideas. I'm going to bottle you. (laughs) (laughs) This is so much what we've been trying to do. You know, that's exactly right. And and because we've got the thing about, um, we're an old fashioned sort of festival because the big ones now run over a, a couple of weeks and they disperse because they're fabulous. I mean, they're just amazing. But you can't go to a place and just kind of sit there and immerse yourself in it, whereas Bendigo's now the perfect size and got the perfect number of venues. And I'm sorry to sound as though I'm, you know, it's just true because the Lumber Theatre is a big theatre, so you'll always be comfortable in that very new, very, very good theatre. Capital Theatre is just perfect. It's 500 seats, which is just beautiful. We're finishing with Kitty Flanagan and that's selling really well which I'm pleased about but of course it's selling well because you can finish your your festival with wonderful Kitty Flanagan talking about her book um, Bridge Burning and and that's that's a nice way to finish but you can dip in and out but you can kind of make it a weekend you know and we've made it you don't know how much I angsted over going will they come on Friday and we did it last year and they came so now we've extended that Friday you can see people like Sarah Centilli's amazing woman who wrote Draw Your Weapons Um, you can see Lem Sisse on the Friday Mm. you can see you know I've tried to make it so if you do are able to come on the Friday and make it a long weekend you've got something really good on that Friday as well um, but you know it, or you dip in and out which is great and wander around Bendigo which is really right somebody said make sure you wear your woolly socks and I thought oh for goodness <laughs> sakes you it know it is pretty cold <laughs> oh on. yeah but so is Melbourne you know we're not too much different I don't reckon do we 
Anyway, well, uh, come and is, find out. This is a rich festival, and um, I was I was pleased also to see Santilla Chingape um, pop up yeah, here, yeah. Um, who uh, created the film Black as Me, um, and is one is an award winning journalist and documentary maker um, who worked for SBS SBS World News. Yep. Yep. Um, just really fascinating programming going on for this festival, um, and also Bendigo is a beautiful town. What I'm I'm particularly interested to know, you do mention um, in the the kind of press materials that you put together that there is a focus on um, on kind of Indigenous culture yes. and country in this it's festival. It's a big year for it. It's a big year for it. And partly I started that off because Good Country came out. Good Country, which is Bain Atwood's book. Bain Atwood is a Monash um, historian, very good, has been working in this field for ages. He works really closely with the Jajawarang. And I picked up Good Country and thought, oh, yeah, you know, whatever, it'll be an academic. And, and it is quite academic, but it's also wonderfully readable. And you kind of... Living in that area, and now look at the sites really differently. Like I go, oh my goodness, that that used to be this. You know, down the end of my street, we've got this horrible kind of needle, uh, that dreadful razor grass stuff growing up. And that's because some Germans, <laughs> bless them, some Germans came to, you know, I'm just between Castlemaine and, and Bendigo, for goodness sakes. And they thought, let's do a vineyard. A vineyard? <laughs> They must have done it after some rain and they got some grapes, obviously, and that was terrific. And then, of course, they were going to make a pleasure garden, a pleasure garden. I'm sorry, if you see my backyard, you don't do pleasure gardens. What you do is fabulous um, regrowth of the, of the local flora and, and the fauna comes. And he's given me access to that via the eye. Like we started talking about dark emu and Bruce Pascoe, via different eyes. You know, I get to look at things sort of askance I, I get to look at things sort of side on and I really like that and wonderfully so do a lot of people who come to the festival mm. and we're getting more and more amazing indigenous voices yep. and writers yep. um, actually coming to the fore in this country we can do so much better um, obviously across the board with that and also obviously um, multicultural writers and writers of other perspectives um, that is something that I think you've really tried to do with this festival do you think um, you know you're, you see a kind kind of impact I from do. these Yes, I do. It's it's still not easy because the numbers, you know, I mean obviously and still and look, you know, I'm I love classic writing. I love it. I mean, I I don't do not want to get rid of Shakespeare. I I just weep at the words that Shakespeare wrote. I don't want to get rid of that. On the other hand, I do want to keep challenging myself about settling back into a certain sort of writing and just going, oh yeah, that's good because the blokes, the old blokes used to tell me it's good. And yeah, it's good, but it's not the only thing. And so that that when you mix, like Timmer, Timmer just talks about that stuff beautifully, doesn't she? She really does. It's just so exciting to hear her intelligence come through and her passion. And I remember back what it felt like to be you know, a young person on the verge of discovering all that reading. I'm so so fortunate that I went through <laughs> I went through the Whitlam years of opening up the universities. I could do it for nothing, you know. It was fantastic, and it's, that, it's that's also what I really interesting as well to kind of you know reframe yeah, some of the things that exactly. we read. Sometimes challenge them. I think I've you You're know right. I've actually as an older person started reading um, books that I read when I was yep. a kid, and I thought that really shaped me. And some yep. of the things that shaped me about it was maybe not seeing someone who was like me, yes. maybe feeling in a subordinate position mm. all the time. So so it is actually wonderful mm. having programming where you have, you know, someone who can um, can offer a different perspective, who can challenge existing You know what norms. we have to do, Mel, I reckon? It's, it's not be afraid of it. It's yeah. because it actually is a, is a pleasure 
to have that because you can hear the little things in your brain going, click open, click open, and you think, oh, I want to keep doing that because it's dull not to keep opening your brain. It really is. And and yeah, and if you and the wonderful thing about writers festivals, you've you've got so much sitting alongside each other so that you're not sitting in the in the Deleuze. You remember Deleuze wrote about black holes. It's not sitting in the black hole of of uh, of a of a dark space where you can't reach out your arms and you know find something different it's very exciting or it's not you can just have have a good time and go to tony tan's cooking demonstration and learn how to do dumplings you know (laughs) it doesn't have to be hard work it can be whatever pleasure you get out of it and some of us get pleasure out of those those little doors doing you know click click open they go i call it the turnstile theory which is once you're through the turnstile you you can't actually go backwards like you know if you go to Etihad Stadium and you're in the turnstile you have to get it's hard work to get out again no that's not true it's easy. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a good and metaphor let, you could, you you know, could jump over them but let's you hope could, people, yeah. let's hope people yeah. try to keep moving forward with that um progress I'm so pleased you like it that's terrific you're <laughs> obviously my ideal audience I I'm sure that there will be many but it, it is very good to see um you know these kinds of combined um programs that that try and draw people in that may not normally go to a particular event um so that we're not just siloing people which is the problem i think um in our very fast-paced era rosemary thank you so much for joining us and um i really encourage people to have a look at the program it's now available online do you want to give us the web address uh bendigowritersfestival.com.au nice and easy and and the capital is our um the capital in view street bendigo is the, the the ticket seller too so absolutely it's all there and uh definitely worth um, getting down to Bendigo for. Thanks, Mel. Thanks so much. Three. Triple. You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show, Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.